Hello, waffle lovers. Welcome to another episode of Whatever Flips Your Waffle here on 365sportscast.com. I'm your host, Mark Domeyer, coming to you as always from the bunker deep in the heart of southern Minnesota. We're focused on the twins this week, but we'll talk a little Timberwolves, a little Wild, a little Lynx as well. I'm glad you decided to tune in, listen to me and others talk about Minnesota sports. Welcome to those of you who tune in each and every week, and a special welcome to those of you who might be checking things out for the first time. I hope you'll enjoy things and will join us each and every Wednesday right here at 8 Eastern, 7 Central. Sit back, relax, prepare yourself for another helping of waffles, syrup optional. After this brief commercial break, I'll be back with my interview for the week. This week, I talked to Theo Tullifson of Twins Daily. We've got a mid-season report. Here we go. There's enough bad news in the world. Where can you turn for some good news? The NRHEG Star Eagle, of course. Your area newspaper, the Star Eagle, focuses on the events and people that make our area a great place to live. The NRHEG Star Eagle, your good news newspaper. To subscribe or advertise, contact Eli at 507-463-8112 or email steagle at hickorytech.net. The Star Eagle is also currently hiring for different positions. If you're interested in working for a small-town newspaper, again, Eli is at 507-463-8112 or email steagle at hickorytech.net. As always, if you subscribe to the Star Eagle, you get an extra helping of the Waffle Flipper in my column each and every week. Joining Whatever Flips Your Waffle on 365sportscast.com this week, Theo Tolfson. And uh, he he writes for Twins Daily. You can find him on Twitter. You can find I've become increasingly aware just how awesome Twins Daily is, and uh, and he writes for them. And we're going to talk Twins today. Theo, welcome to the program. Yeah, thanks for having me, Mark. I'm glad to be here. All right, awesome. Uh, I want to start. We're at the midseason point for the Twins. Even though people talk about the All Star Game, technically they've they've reached the midpoint of their schedule. Uh, unlike the Cleveland Guardians, <laughs> who have a few games to make up, well, let's go. Let's start back in March. Uh, where, when you looked at this season coming in, what was your perception of what this team could be? You know, I did think they could still be contenders for the AL Central Division Crown once the lockout lifted. I'm just going to use that as a marking point of like where I was thinking where things were back in March, especially because we had no idea the whole. Carlos Correa saga would begin with the Twins. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I still looked at the team and, you know, what they could retool, and they made that trade for Sonny Gray, which was a show of, like, okay, they're going to go out and compete for the central crown, and it's not going to be carried away for the White Sox. And now the White Sox are in a position like the Twins were a year ago at this time and don't look like they're going to make much of a run at all. So that gives me confidence and hope that the Twins will still make a run and probably walk away with this division crown even though now that we're halfway through the season to see how desperately the twins need to upgrade their bullpen that's a different story and i think that was my one concern um back in march when the lockout lifted where joe smith was really the only reliever they picked up and now this front office has a long track record of not really investing heavily outside of the organization to pick up relief arms in the off season and that just has been how falby and levine have worked since they've been a part of this Twins front office in the 2016-17 offseason. So it's not unusual, but I think, you know, they are still exceeding expectations compared to last year. I pulled up um, 
you know, where they were um, at the 81 game mark last season, and they had a 30, I think I have it pulled up here somewhere. On everything, yeah, they were thirty-three and forty-eight, and okay. now they are forty-five and thirty-six. So, twelve-game difference is huge, and especially for a team that's going to be likely going from last place to first place this year. Right. So, they're still exceeding expectations, but obviously, there's work to do. Right. I, I thought that too. You know, last year by this point, um, they had a really rough start to April last year. Compared to this year, where they finished off April, I think like twelve and nine, they were. They were in that position where they could, you know, show that they were a good team. Uh, last year, by this point, I think a lot of people had given up on them, uh, including perhaps some of them. I, I'll, I'll admit, that before the season started, uh, I had Ted, Ted uh, Schwartzler on from Twins Daily, and we talked about predictions, and I had said I thought 82 to 88 wins this year. They might exceed that, which would be fantastic. Yeah, I will admit I had the bold prediction on the Twins Daily writers um, for – division uh the twins record for the season and i was the only one who was crazy enough to give him 92 wins okay. which was the highest out of any prediction uh they still <laughs> could make that happen but i think uh i, I want to say it was Aaron Gleeman of the athletic who tweeted out earlier this week that they're on pace for 90 wins right now okay especially after that uh dreadful series with the guardians oh. uh, and the results of that but that's still you know a good pace and we knew I think going into this season, no matter what, you know, with the juggernauts that are the Yankees and the Astros, the AL Central would still be the weakest division in the league. And the team that would win that division would probably exceed 93 wins at most. And it's still looking to be that way. Yeah. And, you know, if you if you look at the way the twin season has gone so far, like I said, they were 12-9 and nine in April. They went 18-12 and 12 in May. And at the end of May, they were kind of at their high-water mark. I think there were 11 games over five hundred. Uh, they had a five-and-a-half game lead in the division at the time. And then the uh, typical Minnesota June swoon, as they call it, and, uh, you know, 13 and 15 in June, and, and, and the panic button hits. You know, and it shouldn't in a, in a 162-game season. But I feel like, you know, of course I shouldn't go on Twitter after the Twins lose. Uh, it, it's, you know, the, the Titanic is sinking and everything else. But when we look at, Hey, they they lost two walk-offs against the Guardians to finish the series. But then they opened the Baltimore series and win two walk-offs. And I think I saw something. They're the only team in history, as long as they've been keeping track, to do something like that. I don't think it was that. I think it was Dohan Park who tweeted something out from a fan uh, yesterday after the walk-off win where the 2010 Diamondbacks had three negative walk-off losses. Uh, one against the Giants and then two against the Dodgers, and then they were played a fourth game that had a walk off of their own at home back in I think it was late May 2010. Uh, and Dohan just tweeted that out, and a fan he gave credit to. Don't remember the fan's name off the top of my head, but it's still fresh on his Twitter page, so I definitely recommend people to check that out. Oh yeah, he's very good. Oh yeah, wonderful guy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's still tough stretch to lose that many games against a division rival that you have to compete for the division crown for because I was also looking at the uh, wild card standings for the American League this morning and it's all taken up by the three AL East teams that aren't the <laughs> New York Yankees Right. so Toronto's got one Boston and Tampa now the Guardians are a game and a half behind Tampa for that final wild card spot and I think you know, a lot of baseball fans would prefer to not have all three of the wild card spots go to AL East teams. Right, right, so, yeah. Uh, be Cleveland, possibly. 
depends on what moves they make at the trade deadline. Right. Uh, well, I'll tell you this. I'd, I'd rather play well, outside the Yankees. I'd rather play any of those other AL East teams in a playoff series than I would the Cleveland Guardians. And what's that? Well, I just... I feel like, you know, it's not as much familiarity. And, and I, listen, I, I like Rocco Baldelli, but I feel like he, there are times where he gets out coached. And I, I think that the lack of familiarity, I, I just, uh, Francona is an excellent manager with Cleveland. I just, there's something that, that bothers me about that a little bit. We've had some success in our limited series against um, the three other AL East teams. At this point, I, I I'm sick of Cleveland. Maybe that's just part of it. I think everyone is after this. Yeah. Mark, <laughs> um, no, Twins are done with Tampa until the postseason. Potentially, they went four-two against them in their six matchups. And I would say out of all three AL East teams, that's obviously the one Rocco has the most familiarity with because he worked on Kevin Cash's right. coaching staff before he became the Twins manager. So there is that side of it. Um, I believe Twins still have to host Boston sometime in August. Yeah, I think so. Toronto's, I know Toronto's going to be at Target Field at the beginning of August during that first weekend. So. Yeah, yep. I think is that uh, like the Tony Oliva stuff is going on that weekend and everything else too, I think, um, yeah, when, yeah. when Toronto comes to town. Um, yes. And it's, who knows, part of, part of my frustration this year when I look at the schedule and I don't know if this was intentional by Major League Baseball, if this is just how it works, because it's not just the Twins, but it feels like we play these division series so quickly, like like you play Cleveland at home, um, then you have Colorado, and then you're at Cleveland. And I guess, you know, we saw like in the Seattle-Anaheim um, series, that led to some tempers flaring a little bit too close to each other, I feel like, but maybe they should have these series spread out. And again, in September, we'll play Cleveland, play somebody else and play Cleveland again. Right. That's the, the spreading out of the schedule should help. But again, things got pushed back where a lot of teams are having five game series with a double hutter in that series against a division opponent. And someone's already done that twice. First against Detroit, which might've been a little more painful than this Cleveland oh, one. Yeah. Considered it's not good. Um, but yeah, I think that just comes down to, you know, the faults of, the commissioner's office and the lockout and delaying the season a bit by a week. And we still got the season technically on time just a week later, but yeah, it does have some impact on performance right. and strength of schedule. Right. Regardless, you know, we, as Twins fans, we, we sometimes assume the worst. We should celebrate the best. And the fact that they've spent close to 70 days of this season in first place, uh, that's, that's, I wouldn't have predicted. I really thought the White Sox would be better, and they still might get better. Um, but like you said at the beginning, it feels like the Twins have this under control, barring, I, I don't know if we could have any more injuries. I should knock on wood as I say that. Um, I'll do that for you now. Yeah, <laughs> right. But but they, they do have the talent there to do it, and and I don't know if the White Sox can, can pull out of their funk. They kind of go up and down a little bit too. I think the White Sox more than likely will not right now they are have a record of 37 and 39 two games below 500 and are five and a half games behind the twins two and a half behind the guardians um i think it's their clubhouse culture more than anything um i was having a conversation with someone earlier in the week about the difference between you know cleveland's respectable manager and tony barusa kind of just losing respect throughout baseball over the last few years since he took it over as the white Sox coach and 
well, manager, I should say. Um, you know, not the same charm he used to have, especially with the Cardinals. And he's just come off as more of a bitter old man who's stuck in his ways. And the players definitely have shown their frustration with that in the clubhouse. And I would definitely point to Tim Anderson as the most popular example of, you know, speaking on the record of disappointment with what that clubhouse is like right now. And the Twins still have, I think they only have those three games that they played against them in April. Right. Where Buxton walked off against them and they swept the White Sox. And I was at that game where Buxton hit that walk off and it was oh. fantastic. Awesome. And I, and they have, I, I think they have six games coming up here with the White Sox mm-hmm. um, before or as we kind of sandwich around the All-Star break and everything too. But uh, and, and to me, that's where you want the Twins to put them away. And just, you know, you win four or five out of six and say, okay, just go away, Chicago. Don't think about yeah. it. Exactly, and the Twins have, are going to be starting a series at, uh, I want to say Comiskey Park, but I know it's not. It's going to be a great field. I mean, <laughs> it's hard uh, to keep track of the name changes. I still refer to it as U.S. Cellular. Um, or that, yeah, because usually what I grew up with it knowing. Um, yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, yeah. I think these Twins teams of recent years, dating back to 2019, just will date it as the Baldelia era. They have always loved to hit at um, Guaranteed Ray Field. And granted, there's no Nelson Cruz this time who just destroyed the White Sox pitching <laughs> yeah. in their own ballpark. But I still have a lot of confidence in this Twins team to hit the ball like crazy. It is more of a hitter-friendly ballpark than Target Field. Right. And this is the first time. It, I do find it kind of wild that they're going to a division opponent's stadium for their first matchup of the season at the 83 mark of the season. <laughs> yeah. The Twins schedule has been very uh, non-divisional opponent heavy in the first half of the season. Right. And that's going to make a huge difference for, you know, these July, August, and September games and how the division plays out for here on out. Yeah. We've got Theo Tullison. He writes for Twins Daily. He has joined Whatever Flips Your Waffle this week. Uh, we've talked kind of about how the season has gone so far. I want to take some time here now, and I just kind of want to go a position by position um, I'm a teacher, so I like to grade things out a little bit. But when we look at, at positions and stuff, I, I want your take on some of these. Uh, and we're going to start with our catchers, with uh, Ryan Jeffers and Gary Sanchez. How has that unit performed this year? Um, well, if we're going to do grades, as like I'm back in school again, um, <laughs> I would say I would give that probably a C, C minus. I mean, offense-wise, Gary Sanchez has been how he's always been. I think he's looked a lot more comfortable just playing every day compared to being in that New York market. Right. And I think that's been a huge improvement for him. Now, Jeffers has good def- is the better defender between the two, I would say. Yes. But the biggest problem that I have with these two is they are not throwing out base runners when stolen bases are attempted against them. Now, granted, this is not the 80s anymore where you have so many guys stealing bases every time you get And I would love to see baseball return to that because <laughs> yeah. I missed how fast the game moved when you had guys like Ricky Henderson or Tim Raines out there every day. I mean, I, I wasn't alive for this, but oh, I was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it, it just, it was a different era. And I think baseball definitely needs to bring that back. Um, so it's been easy for opponents to steal against them. And obviously there'll be some working there, but I know the twins 
third string catcher Jose Godoy that they picked up from there is, is likely who's on the forty man roster right now is likely to come up if Jeffers needs to go on the IL since he went out with a uh, was it a sprain thumb or a blister? A thumb contusion, I think, is what they said okay. officially. Um, yeah, and I don't think it's going to be something that will put Jeffers on the IL, which is the last thing the Twins need right now. Yeah, it's another right. person on the IL. Right. Um, but there's also, I've been covering a few of the Saints games with Twins Daily, getting down there with Press Pass. Um, one guy who could still show up with the team that's been doing really well down there, who's a multi-position player, but his primary one as a catcher is Caleb Hamilton. Okay. Uh, he's got some great defense. He's got a good eye at the plate. Um, I, he probably could hit better than Jeffers sometimes. <laughs> so I, And he's someone that myself and our Twins Daily editor, Steph Stoss, would really love to see up in, with the club before the season's over if it needs to come to that where either Jeffers or Sanchez go on the I.L. at any point that remains in the season. And I think that could... Hamilton's someone who could probably bring that C-minus up to a C-plus, I think. Okay, okay. Well, and and I, I agree with you in a lot of areas there. I, I think the defense, outside of the stealing bases, like framing pitches, when I watch Jeffers, he does a really good job of, of gaining some pitches for his pitchers that get called strikes. Um, and Sanchez has been better than he was, again, maybe because he's not in New York, um, defensively, the ball isn't rolling past them every other pitch like they made it sound like it would. Um, you know, f- first base is an interesting position. <laughs> I, yes. I don't, I don't think any of us would have back in March said Luis Arise is going to play first base and do a, a a pretty passable job doing that. Um, but we've got quite a a conundrum over there, and of course, um, you know, with with Miranda playing there and, and with um. Boy, my mind, Kirilov, thank you. My mind just went blank. Uh, with Kirilov healthy again. And then waiting in the wings, <laughs> Miguel Sano, whenever he's healthy. What do we make of first base right now? I would say it's a B, plus, especially with the surprise of Arise over there, especially defensively. Now, Arise is my favorite twin because my old man grew up loving Rod Carew. Oh, yeah. And when I still played baseball, he taught me to hit like Guru and place the ball wherever I want and hit for average. And those are my favorite types of players, the Luis Arises of the league. And I think having him in the lineup every day has been crucial in the Twins. That was a big question coming into the season, too. It's like, yep. where are they going to put Luis Arise, especially once Correa and Urshela were added to the team? Now, Snow's injury has been a bit of a blessing in disguise, giving him some playing time at first base consistently. And we saw when Polanco went on the I.L., he got a little more time back over at second. And Urshela is the better defender at third, and we'll get to that later. And that explains why you know, we've not seen a rise at third so much this season. But having the backups of someone who's used to playing first base as the primary position with Kirloff and Miranda, it's helped out tremendously to you know have this depth, which is a good thing. Now, when Sano comes back, it's hard to say what his role will be. I want to say he's going to be penciled into the designated hitter role a little more often because I trust Arise, Kirilov, and Miranda more defensively than so at first base. Right. And really, Arise defensively has never been really stellar. But at first base, I think he's like third base, second base, it's always kind of like, ooh, what's going to happen? But he's been better at first. Uh, I agree with you on Sano, and I wonder if if he's given a shot when he comes back and then you don't see the Sanchez-Jeffers both in the lineup the same day all the time, kind of like um, Rocco's been doing. But uh, I, And I'll admit this. 
Before the season started, I talked to some people on the program here, and, and I speculated that Luisa Rise would be a great trade chip this summer if we were in it, because we had Correa and we had Urshela, and I thought, where are you going to play Arise all the time? But he certainly, um, that doesn't look so good now. Luis Arise uh, is going to be an all-star. There's no way you would trade him. Um, although somebody speculated they still think that the Twins should do that because they won't be able to pay him in the future. I think that's ludicrous. Um, I don't think you could get any sort of value for a rise that would be worth what he brings to this team. Absolutely not. No, um, he the only person who is hitting better among qualifying batters is Paul Goldschmidt, who's running for the NL MVP right now. He's at three forty six coming in today, and he'll rise to that three forty five for his average. And because baseball values more of the three true outcome hitters. Or you know the guys who are going to hit home runs but still hit like two eighty or below, um, Arise would be easy to extend, and he's definitely not going to be someone who's going to get traded. Right. This summer. Yeah. Yeah. No. He's he is like you, you mentioned the Rod Carew comparison, and certainly we've heard the stories of Carew kind of giving him some advice. But he does. He's going to put the ball in play. He's not going to strike out much. Uh, you know, his at bat the other night um, against Baltimore in the ninth inning. I think he went nine pitch at bat and, and got a single out of it. That's you talk about the stolen bases. You miss you wish there were more stolen bases. I love watching guys like Luis Rice hit, and I don't care about just getting singles and doubles. I don't care if he doesn't hit home runs. He hits the ball, he puts it in play, and makes things happen. Yeah, he's one of those pure hitters who's going to scope the open spots on the field where the defensive outlook is weak, and he's going to hit the ball there if he can. And you know, the last pure hitter we really saw like that, it was Tony Gwynn. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, great comparison. Uh, second base, mostly Polanco. You know, arise there at times. Um, other people have filtered him. But, but Jorge Polanco seems much better suited defensively, especially to second base, than shortstop. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more on that. And he's been a little bit slower at the plate this season. And I remember last year when things were pretty bleak for the team, he really caught fire in the second half and that still could be a possibility this season so i'm not really worried about how his performance is i think you know defensively he's great he's going to get an off day occasionally and with him healthy again i would assume nick gordon's going to be the primary backup and maybe arise occasionally but i think his bat will heat up in the second half of the season even though that technically starts to right yeah break wise yeah yeah and you know the fact that he had to go on the injured list for the first time in his career um, you know, and came right off and hit a home run. He's he's a professional baseball player. I think that's the best thing you can say about Polanco. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Theo Tellison is with us. He writes for Twins Daily. We're kind of going around the horn here, talking about the Twins in the different positions. Uh, well, shortstop, Carlos Correa. Nobody would have imagined Carlos Correa in a Twins uniform, and it might just be a one-year gig, uh, but he certainly brought a different level to that position than what we've seen before. Yes, and even though this past week he had a couple mishaps that seems, you know, a little below the bar for him in Cleveland with his defense, he's still been a tremendous asset for this team and really has helped to make sure this clubhouse, even though he's anointed Byron Buxton as the leader of this clubhouse and everyone agrees, it's just the companionship of him and Buxton and what they've been able to do for this team from what we've been hearing as fans that has been a tremendous reason to why this team is doing as well as they are. And 
as long as he's still healthy too. And I know that his only stint on IL was COVID related. Otherwise, he's just been day to day with some bruises on his legs or ankles from what we had heard. And Buxton and Cray are both guys who have been getting their designated off days. Yeah. I want to believe that Cray's going to see a little less of those than Buxton as the season continues. But I, I can't really predict that without having conversations with Morocco. So. Right, right. And I, I would guess that, you know, Correa, as a World Series, Series champion, he's a winner. Um, if he wants to play more, he's going to tell Rocco, "I don't, I don't want days off. Put me out there. Um, we need to win." We've seen, you know, you, you kind of see his leadership out in the field, where he'll be talking, he'll come to the pitcher's mound, he'll he'll do those sort of little things. He's like you said, he's given Buxton the you know the title of leader, but there's different types of leaders, and Buxton's the fiery one. He's the one who's going to get everybody ready to go. But I think Carlos Correa is the calming influence as well, and I would guess that after the Cleveland series, he probably had a few words um, to tell the guys, hey, it's a long way to go. Uh, we got this. Don't worry about it. Right, exactly. And there's still three series left with the Guardians and five against the White Sox. And those are going to be the most crucial division games, of course. And obviously there's still going to be some throwing games with the Tigers and Royals. But... You know, as long as they can maintain 500 or, you know, winning two out of three in all those matchups for the rest of the season, that's really what's going to come down to the Twins. Yep. You know, having a 92-win division title or being like the Braves of last year, only having, I think they only had 88 wins and still won the World Series. Right. So. Well, and, you know, you had mentioned this earlier. The Yankees are going to be the, the best team in baseball uh before the postseason rolls around, Houston will be the number two seed. So if the Twins win the division, they're going to be number three. There, it doesn't matter how many games they win. Nothing's going to change about how their seeding's going to go. Unfortunately, is I mean, I'm sure all Twins and baseball fans would love to see the baseball gods, you know, destroy the Yankees' hot streak and make them lose ten in a row. But we can't count. Okay. Yeah, right, right. It's it, it doesn't seem fathomable um, when you when you really look at it. Let's move yeah. over to third base. Uh, Gio Urshela, as you've said, has kind of held down that position. Um, and to me, I think when I look at the trade, the Donaldson trade, and getting Sanchez and Urshela, and Urshela kind of flies under the radar a lot of times, but to me he's been he's been really, really solid this year in a lot of different ways. Yes, I'm, he's leading the team in games played right now with 74, and I anticipate you know, as long as he's staying healthy, he's going to have 150 games for the Twins this season and defensively much better than Donaldson, especially with the health. Um, and a rise, too, especially when we think back to that Oakland game oh, beginning last season. Yes, yeah. <laughs> that has been a tremendous benefit to this team, having Urshel at the hot corner. Now, his bat has been pretty good as well, but he's still hitting 260 with a on-base percentage of 309. OPS is around that league average where it usually should be, although hitting is down this year at 711. So, still a great person to have in the lineup and definitely someone you can count on defensively at third base. Now, Miranda's probably going to get a little more playing time as his backup with how this team's looking on their depth chart right now, I'd say, because I would assume Kirloff gets, um, I think today even, Kirloff's playing first base while Arise is DHing, so that opened the opportunity for Rochelle to get an off day, and Miranda's playing third base. I okay. think when I looked at the Twins lineup this morning, that's how it okay. was projected. All right. Yeah, and, I, and you know, you go back to... Also, I, 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 you're probably much more into some of the advanced metrics and understand that better than I am, but I've seen some things that talk about, um, you know, compare Urshela and Donaldson this year and how Donaldson's war is better and everything else. But I think, again, when you talk about the clubhouse, you mentioned like 
Tony LaRusso's clubhouse maybe isn't all as good as it could be. We've heard some twins say the clubhouse is much better this year, and I don't think it's um, any coincidence that that has something to do with Josh Donaldson being in New York. Yes, and I will refer back to Aaron Gleeman again for his work with The Athletic. When the Yankees were in town, he did a piece um, related to Donaldson's leaving the clubhouse, and I think it was also during the Yankees and White Sox matchup in New York when Donaldson had his little unnecessary comment towards Hannah huh. Emerson that was just completely disrespectful. Yes. And it was Lee Hendricks, former twin, who stood up for his teammate and went on the record to say that you know, he's talked to people who have been in every clubhouse or close to every clubhouse of Donaldson's, and the majority have not enjoyed him. Right. So, and I know to give a little bit of benefit of the doubt, Donaldson had a very horrid upbringing for his childhood. However, that doesn't always excuse some of his behavior. No, you you can, you, and trust me, as a teacher, I. I sometimes, you know, have students who have some difficulty, and and there's ways to overcome that, especially when you become an adult to kind of grow exactly, up a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but, yeah. And I think Lehman shared this on the podcast just with our boss uh, John Bonus. Gleeman uh, Geek. They talked about how Donaldson kind of makes comments towards Judge and Stan during warmups while the all the Twins beat writers were on the field, and it was indirectly just saying, hey, they're better off without me. Did you hear? They're better <laughs> off without me. You know, saying that's the Aaron Judge and John Carlos stand. And Gleeman did the right thing and just showed up and made himself presently available in front of Donaldson, even if Donaldson was still going to dance around him and right. make those unnecessary comments. But, I, yeah, we can all agree, without Donaldson, the Twins are a much better team. Yeah, yeah. And I love the fact that, like, with Urshela, we've got him under uh, team control for another year, and it gives you some flexibility. You know, you look at a Miranda, and you look at Kirilov, and some of these younger guys who've been in and out and had some injuries and so on. Um, and if Correa doesn't come back next year, it gives us some shifting possibilities, and and um, these guys can play a lot of different spots. It'll, it'll be really interesting a year from now to see what the Twins infield looks like. Absolutely. Uh, uh, outfield, well, Byron Buxton is who he is. And and he has already, I think, exceeded the uh, the value of his contract. If you figure out you know value and all that stuff, this was such a team-friendly contract. And the fact that he's on pace to play more than 100 games this year and has hit more home runs than he has any other year, um, even if he gets these days off and he's maybe not 100% healthy, he's Byron Buxton and there's something special about that. Oh, no doubt, and obviously everyone wants to see him play center field every day because we know what he can do defensively, but his presence in the clubhouse when he's healthy and in the lineup, whether it's at DH or center field, is such a big difference maker, and I know there have been so many uh, looks into how the Twins record is when Buxton is healthy compared to when he's not in recent years, and he's the big difference maker, no doubt. Now, granted, my nitpicks about what I want better from Buxton is a higher batting average and more RBI, because I believe if you have 21 runs, you should have a bare minimum 42 RBI, but he doesn't. He has 38. Yeah, yeah. Now, the old school thinking, because, again, raised by my dad, who <laughs> brought me into the league, and, you know, he got to see the big red machine, where those guys were definitely... Oh, yeah. He lived out in Ohio for a few years. I'm going off a little tangent here. That's but fine. He lived out in Alliance, Ohio in the 70s, and got to see the big red machine often, so... Well, you know, you do that. Like, I grew up with Kirby Puckett. Kirby Puckett was my idol when I was a kid, and and um, I wanted to be like Kirby Puckett. I had batting stance like Kirby Puckett. Um, my dad, you know, helped me 
engender that love for the twins and everything else. Um, so that period, like the 80s and, and early 90s, my formative years, that's what I look at as baseball. It's kind of that um, dreamy uh, look back and everything. And like you, I sometimes wish we could go back to some of those things. But, but Buxton is what he is, and, and he got paid, and he's producing to his yes. credit. Yeah. Yes, um, that's the commercial thing. Yeah, and you know the our other elf, you know, like Max Kepler, I think is doing better this year. He's he's figured out how to not hit into the shift every single time. And I start thinking that you know next year when they talk about the shifts might go away. Thank goodness, um, Max Kepler is going to be a really good hitter next year when they're not shifting him all the time. Right, I think he'll set a career high as an average. Now, Grand that's probably going to be. I'd still assume it's going to be like two sixty something, maybe two seventy at best without the shift. But he, he's a natural pull hitter, and he's still, I mean, he's not bothering Buxton levels of defense, but he's still a great defender. Uh, he's made some great catches on right field, and someone you can rely on. Now, granted, they've done well making sure he's not playing center field once this season. With Celestino hanging out and becoming that fourth outfielder for the team, whether, um, you know, it's Kepler or Buxton in center and right, and then it's been back and forth with Kirloff. Celestino, Gordon, and Larnick in left field. And now that we know that Larnick was playing through injury through for three weeks, and that's why he declined right. in June versus May, it's it's going to be interesting. I when we get talking about trades, I don't think one of those four guys I mentioned in that's been playing left field will be with the team, depending on what's being asked for. So that's something else to take into consideration with the outfield depth. So right field and right field, you know what to expect, and one of those other guys is going to be playing as backup. But left field is, I think, the biggest question mark for this team right now and who's going to be out there after the trade deadline. Right. And you, we, we hope Larnick, you know, that's a, he's out for quite some time here. Uh, hopefully he'll be able to come back and, and play at a high level again. You know, Kyle Garlick's a nice guy. I think he, he hits left-handed hitters so well, um, but he's maybe not an everyday player out there either. No, no, he's definitely more of those... Um, I wouldn't say utility is the right word, but <laughs> he 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 serves a role on this team. Um, yeah, role playing. Yeah, that's there you go. Um, Nick, Nick Gordon's been like you say he can play a lot of different spots. In fact, I was reading how he would be um, the backup catcher possibly if something really bad happened here. Um, he's pitched a little bit. He's he's done a lot of things, and he's a first round draft pick. Uh, he's hit some big home runs. He's done you know just the little things out there. I think too that that make a difference. Absolutely. He's the go-to utility man for this team right now because he plays so many different positions. And he's played 62 games. I'm looking at the twin stat lines right now as a team. Uh, it's 263, a 712 OPS, so a point higher than Gio is. Now, Randy's not a power hitter, but he's still got four home runs in the season, and they've been crucial home runs. One yep. of them was the lone home run that was needed to beat the Guardians at a, yeah. the last uh, Twins and Guardians game at Target Field. So Right, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're here with Theo Tullison. We're we've gone kind of around the horn with our Twins players here. Uh, Theo writes for Twins Daily, so he's got a lot of insight. And now we're going to talk about the pitchers. We've got uh, it, at the beginning of the year, it seemed like we had so much depth in pitching, and we've needed it because nobody can stay healthy outside of Chris Archer, who you can't count on for more than four innings at a time. Right. Well, Archer's been the biggest surprise out of them all, I would say, when it comes to the starters. Now, granted, he's still got his innings limits. Um, it's probably going to continue even with Wes Johnson now, and it's something he's been behind himself. Now, granted, will he still be a starter come the dog days of August and September? 
in the postseason push, it's hard to say. They could push him into that long reliever role because I know they don't want to exceed his pitch count beyond 90. And given his injury history, especially once he was traded to Pittsburgh, it still makes sense that he's pushing at the straight. Now, I did write uh, the Pitcher of the Month article for Twins Daily uh, for June, and I did choose Archer, even though some would have preferred me to choose Griffin Jacks, who was been lights out for the Twins bullpen yeah. and much better as a reliever than starter. But when you think about what Archer did as the starter for the month of June, as the anchor of the rotation, and especially having his biggest start of the season come against the evil empire, the Yankees, <laughs> and they won that game. Now, granted, his walk rate is very high. That is still a problem. But when you look at the big picture of you know Ryan and Gray only making three starts in June, and Ryan was a little rocky coming off the IL. Gray didn't get beat up too badly until yesterday against the Orioles. It's it's a huge difference, and obviously we're probably going to be beat the dead horse here if the bullpen needs to be fixed more than anything else. Right. Um, besides Duran and Jax, it's really hard to count on anyone else in that bullpen right now. Uh, I'd read this idea. I'm curious what you think of it because Archer, and I understand the pitch count, and, and because of the way they've handled him, he has made every start this season. What about the idea of having a, like an Archer, and when he gets back, Bailey Ober tandem? One starts, one relieves. You know, something like that, or Dylan Bundy, or fill in the blank. Two of your starters, they're both pitching in the same game. <laughs> It's, it could be worthwhile. I mean, considering what the bullpen is, it, I won't say no to it. I mean, it's a bit of a stretch to believe that could happen, but I won't say it's a terrible idea when the Twins really need to do anything to fix that bullpen right now. Well, because, and I look at it of, you know, when Archer goes, you got to fill five innings from your bullpen. And, and that's sometimes difficult depending on, how the bullpen's been used the previous days. I, it just It's something I read about and I thought, huh, because you know in previous years they've used an opener at times, uh, not a starter, an opener, and kind of it's been a bullpen day. And I think, well, maybe this is a new idea. I'm sure Rockwell's probably thought of all this kind of stuff too. Uh, when you look at, and again, I, I love the Sonny Gray trade at the start of the year. I think Sonny Gray, when he's healthy, is, is a fantastic pitcher. He does a lot of good things. Um, Devin Smelter has come on, and I, I believe you can correct me if I'm wrong. Devin Smelter's out of options. They can't send him back anymore, and why would they? I do believe he's out of options, yes. And you're right. Why would they? He's turned around compared to how he was in 2021. Now, granted, he was used much more briefly than, than in his rookie season of 2019. But I think because whenever Ober or maybe a trade acquisition comes in for the rotation, uh, Archer is most likely to get pushed back to the bullpen now because Smelter can still go six innings, maybe start seventh, but still get yanked out around that. And he's more versatile against the order, the opposing lineups third time through. Yeah, right. And, you know, you've mentioned the bullpen, certainly the frustration here. and But this is the, the beauty of baseball. Um, for a while, everybody wanted to... Um, DFA Tyler Duffy. He was the worst pitcher ever. Um, we don't need anything for Just get rid of him. Well, now he's pitched better lately. Uh, Pagan, of course, <laughs> to the ire of Twins fans everywhere. But then Pagan comes out in a game against Baltimore, strikes out, or, you know, one, two, three inning in the ninth, and the Twins come back and walk off. Uh, he can turn it around, too. There's just a lot of flexibility in this bullpen. I think the only thing I would say, you mentioned Griffin Jacks. He's been very, very good. And uh, Duran 
has been very, very good. Outside of that, it's anybody's guess on any given day. Yeah, and Duffy improved himself over the month of June from the beginning to end. There's no denying that. However, he's not the same high leverage reliever he was in 2019. No. Um, honestly, I think the most expendable, obviously, is Pagan, but I think the Twins also need to consider moving away from Caleb Theobar. He's not been good this season. Uh, he has a 5.65 ERA in 33 games, an opponent's batting average of 243, and a whip of 1.40. So they're going to need a much better left-handed reliever to use in those high-leverage positions later in games, and especially with those hitter matchups. And they just don't have that right now. I think that's going to be the biggest need outside of maybe a starter is a high-leverage left-handed reliever. Right. So let's talk trade possibilities. It it's I, I read where Derek Falvey says just you know it's not like they're not making phone calls right now, but they're with the extra wild card. There are that many more teams that are in position and haven't made a decision here at the beginning of July about whether or not they're buyers or sellers. But what you know you mentioned maybe one of our outfielders, one of our those guys could be gone. Do you even to get the right guy? Do you can you think about giving up? Um, an Alex Kirilov or uh, Jose Miranda if you're getting somebody who's lights out or do you not take that step? Well, I think the player within the organization who's most likely going to get traded is someone the Twins acquired in the trade last year and that's Austin Martin. He just hasn't panned out uh, with Wichita this season when I've been following the Bayer League reports. Um, as much as the Twins were hoping, and I think they're willing to flip him if it means getting, for example, David Robertson from the Chicago Cubs, you know, someone with that postseason experience has yep. finally turned his career around, even in his old age as a reliever. And he's the most common name I've seen written by the athletic writers Gleeman and Dan Hayes and others. So, and I think the Cubs will ask for a high-ranked prospect like Martin, even if it's just getting Robertson on two months' rental. Yep. Yeah, and and I think if the Twins don't bolster their bullpen, Twins fans will <laughs> they might they might uh, be be somewhat displeased. That I'll put it in a very politically correct way. Uh, yeah. You have to have that. Could, could you use more starting help? I think you could, but at the same time, when you look toward the postseason, and you say, "Well, in the postseason, we're not." trotting a Chris Archer out there. We're not putting a Dylan Bundy out there in the postseason to start a game either. Right, and I still think knowing the track record of Falvey and Levine, um, they're probably going to wait for some of the guys within the organization who are on the IL to be some of that bullpen help. Um, the big one right now is Matt Canarino. He's at AA Wichita on the injured list, and he's a great starter, but the Twins are more likely going to call him up as a reliever later in the season. Um, Jorge Alcala, who's still rehabbing at Fort Myers, uh, he's probably going to be coming back, I would say, after the All-Star break and really come through as a, within the organization as relief help that the team needs. Um, and then yesterday, uh, Aaron Gleeman talked to Randy Dobnak, and he's sounded like he's going to start rehabbing towards mid-end July. So right. if Dobnak's healthy again, he's going to the bullpen. And if Maeda recovers from Tommy John, and is able to pitch in September, he's going to be in the bullpen only because he was fantastic with the Dodgers. I think it was a 2016 or 17 when they made that World Series run right. uh, as a reliever when he was used in this situation. And another name that people have just seemingly forgotten about completely with this Twins bullpen, who was with them at the start of the season, 
Joan Romero. Oh he yeah, came back too. That's Everyone right. Completely forgotten about her. Um, uh, it was bicep injury. He's still on the sixty day aisle, but he's still on the forty man. So, and he's only pitched four games. So it's anyone's guess how he'll do. But I will take him back healthy if the Twins can get him. If they don't make too many moves here in the bullpen, uh, I do want to throw a name into the trade talk that needs to be looked at. Um, now the Marlins still could compete for the NL wild card spots. But I won't count on that. Even with the best pitcher in baseball right now, Cindy Alcantara, yeah. should start the All-Star game for the NL. And they have this guy named Stephen Oker, who's a left-handed reliever. He's made 32 relief appearances for them this season. He's got a great track record in the past three seasons. Last year, he had 34 relief appearances. He had a 2.75 ERA, 10 games with the Giants in 2018, when the last pitch was a 1.23. And this season, he's got a 2.10 in 25 and two-thirds innings pitched in those 32 relief appearances with 11 holds. He's someone to look into. Yeah. And he would be under team control for a little while. So you could more than likely see Austin Martin getting flipped to Miami for a guy like Oker. And I think that's someone Twins fans should keep an eye on. Now, I think the Marlins, if they're like kind of floating below or at 500, may be a little more willing to sell someone like Oker and not um, their ace, Alcantara, or the other up-and-coming starter they have, Pablo Lopez. So okay. something to consider. Good, good names. I hadn't heard that one before, but that uh, we'll keep an eye on that as we uh, travel through July. Good stuff here. Theo Tullison writes for Twins Daily. Appreciate you joining the program this week and uh, catching up on the Twins at the mid-season point. Yeah, I'm happy that I was able to join Mark, and if you ever want to have me on again to just talk some Twins, I'm more than happy to do so. Sounds good. We'll be right back. Brian Wayne and Wayne Farms are sponsoring Whatever Flips Your Waffle again this week with a focus on agriculture in different ways. This week we like to recognize all of our dairy farmers out there. It's a lot of work. We don't think about that when we drink our milk, eat our cheese, eat our ice cream, things like that. Out there milking the cows a couple times a day. Uh, plenty of work to do when it comes to that. And so we thank our dairy farmers out there for all the hard work you do. Hard to get away and take a break when the cows are waiting, and so are all of us uh, that enjoy our dairy products on a daily basis. So thank you again, dairy farmers, and thank you to Brian Wayne and Wayne Farms. And now it's time for the State of Minnesota Sports. Lots more to talk about. Certainly we talked plenty about the Twins with Theo Tullifson, but let's look first at the Wild. We'll spend a little time on that. You know, they have their ups and downs. They, they scored their most points of the season against one of the best teams in the WNBA, the Las Vegas Aces, but they still remain three and a half games out of uh, the last playoff spot. And so it it's uh, it's something for them to really work on. And there, there seems to be some optimism that as people are coming back and being healthy and they make some adjustments and everything, that they can have a shot at the playoffs. And again, we've talked about this. Last year, the Chicago Sky snuck into the playoffs as a 500 team and went on a real roll there to win the WNBA championship. So hope for the Lynx. Again, they would hate to break their streak of um, so many years of being in the playoffs. Uh, the best of any Minnesota professional sports team, really. And uh, we'll have to remain constantly keeping an eye on that, seeing if the Lynx can come out on top in multiple games in a row to try to climb back into it. We turn our attention to the Minnesota Wild. They made a big trade recently, and um, 
trading Fiala to Los Angeles was a lot of a salary cap move. Um, they've got a lot of dead money on there um, from some previous contracts that's going to kind of haunt them for a little bit here. And Kevin Fiala was going to become a casualty of that one way or another. Uh, they got the number 19 draft pick um, for the draft that's happening this Thursday. And they also got Brock Faber, who is currently playing with the Minnesota Gophers, a very good defenseman. And um, it's really people are torn when they talk about Faber and what he could do in the NHL, about whether he could really step up and be very solid in that role. And then there are other people who think he just doesn't have quite the game for the National Hockey League. And a lot remains to be seen. We we have no idea. And again, I'm not a great hockey mind, but uh, you know there there tends to be this idea with Minnesota teams. They love bringing back um, the Minnesota related sports figures, and Faber would certainly fit into that. So a little bit of excitement there. Uh, he'll continue to play for the Gophers, I believe, this upcoming season. Um, and again, speculation on the Wild on whether or not this indicates they're going to kind of take a step back. Um, one media outlet that I saw said that they believe it's just, what this is going to do to the Wild is kind of set them on that mediocre course where they probably will make the playoffs, but they've stepped back from the idea of really making a run. They really thought this last year they had an opportunity to make a run to the Stanley Cup Finals and, of course, fell in the first round to the St. Louis Blues, and ultimately the Colorado Avalanche won the NHL title, and we had seen how good they were throughout the season. Whether the Wild can climb to that spot or not, but a lot of people feel that there's kind of going to linger around until all that dead money comes off in a few years and they can really make some moves um, in the free agent market as a result of that. And it, probably an even bigger trade, unless you don't care about basketball at all, the Minnesota Timberwolves got Rudy Gobert uh, from the Utah Jazz, three-time NBA Defensive Player of the Year, um, and they gave up a lot for him. And I'm still really torn on this. Uh, they gave up Malik Beasley, Patrick Beverly, who I'm a big fan of, uh, Jared Vanderbilt, Leandro Balmero, and then uh, Walker Kessler, who they just drafted in the first round. And if you listened last week, pr pretty excited about that, uh, thinking he would be that defensive stopper that they needed. Well, Gobert is a defensive stopper. He's the best of the best when it comes to that in the NBA. What bothers me about this trade, and probably will, is the uh, the first-round draft picks that the Timberwolves gave up as well for next year in 2025-2027. Um, there's one in 2029 that they have protected. It's a, it's a top-five protected if they've really fallen off. Um, there's a, a first-round draft switch in 2026. So a lot of things like that, and you think, Oh my goodness, do they really think that this is what it's going to take to push them into contention in the NBA? And the answer clearly is yes. You know, the other part of this is it really limits them. Again, we looked at the Wild, they had to trade somebody because of financial reasons. Well, now you got Gobert, who's making a lot of money. They extended Carl Anthony Towns, which everybody expected them to do. He's got a max contract, and why wouldn't you do that? Carl Anthony Towns, one of the best players in the NBA. You know, one of the winners that comes out of this whole thing is Jaden McDaniels. He is um, he's a good defender, and he's now a starter, more than likely. 
um, with the trade and all the people that the, the Timberwolves traded. Um, that's a good opportunity for him. And really, again, when you read a lot of media outlets and a lot of experts, what they're saying about this trade is um, – the Timberwolves are going to be very good in the regular season. They might be able to move into the top four in the Western Conference uh, as long as everybody stays healthy. But there's some concern about what this does in the playoffs. You've you've lost some of your depth, and in a playoff series, as we've seen, that really uh, makes a big impact. So, uh, you know, big news from from both of the winter franchises, basketball and hockey, here in Minnesota when it comes to trading. And certainly Tim Conley has made his mark on the Timberwolves now, and it will remain to be seen whether that is a good mark or not. It's going to take a while to figure that out. Let's come back briefly to the Twins before we finish this segment. Um, Theo and I talked on Sunday before the Baltimore finale, which the Twins lost. Then they come back on Monday night and win an extra innings against the Chicago White Sox on a difficult day with the shootings and our our thoughts and prayers go out to the people of Chicago, a difficult situation when people um, are killed in the parade shootings. But the game went on, and we saw some amazing plays. We saw the triple play from Buxton to Urshela, um, the first time that's ever happened in history, an 8-5 triple play. And the, and the Twins did a lot of nice things um, to come out on top finally and, and win that. And again, by the time you listen to this, they will finish their series in Chicago. And as we keep saying, two out of three, two out of three, keep doing that. The Guardians have lost some games as well. And the Twins need to really take solid control of this division um, as they head toward the All-Star break. And they're going to look at Texas coming up here as well for the first time uh, this year. So by the time we meet again, we will be on the All-Star break and coming out of that, and we'll kind of see where the Twins will go in the figurative second half of the season. And that's the state of Minnesota sports. And now it's time for this week in Minnesota sports history. On July 6th in 1962, Mickey Mantle and Roger Maris each hit two home runs against the Twins. That was the fourth straight homer for Mantle in a 7-5 Yankee victory. On July 6th in 1995, the Twins traded Rick Aguilera to the Red Sox for Frankie Rodriguez. Remember him? I barely do either. On July 7th in 1974, Dan Mone set the consecutive games without an error record for third base while he played for the Brewers in an 8-5 win over the Twins. That record stood at 78 consecutive games without an error. On July 7th in 1995, the Twins traded Scott Erickson to the Orioles for Scott Klingenbeck. Remember him? I barely do either. On July 7th in 2004, the Twins set a team record with a third consecutive shutout. Johan Santana, Brad Radke, and then Kyle Loesch all held the Royals scoreless in complete game victories. Think of that. Three straight starting pitchers that went a complete game. In 2010, on July 7th, Justin Morneau was accidentally kneed in the head on a slide well in Toronto in a 6-5 loss to the Blue Jays. Morneau sustained a concussion and was out the rest of the season. On July 8th, in 1991, Major League Baseball umpire Steve Palermo from Minnesota was shot while trying to help two waitresses who were being robbed. I still remember he was honored um, at the World Series in Minnesota that year for his bravery. On July 9th in 1968, Harmon Killebrew ruptured his hamstring while stretching for a throw in the All-Star game 
and was out until September. That's every manager's nightmare is losing one of your star players to a freak injury in an All-Star game. On July 11th in 1968, Rick Rennick became the first twin to homer in his first Major League Baseball at-bat in a 5-4 Twins win at home. Rennick, of course, would go on to be one of the coaches uh, for the Twins under Tom Kelly. On July 11th in 1987, both Cal Ripken Jr. and Billy Ripken were in the lineup for the Orioles, managed by their father, Cal Ripken Sr., in a 2-1 loss to the Twins in Baltimore. The first time a father had ever managed two of his sons. On July 11th in 2021, the Twins drafted Chase Petty, who this past offseason they traded for Sonny Gray. On July 12th in 1949, the Rams signed Norm Van Brocklin, who would go on, of course, to become the very first Minnesota Vikings coach in their inaugural season in 1961. On July 12th in 1972, the Twins won the 1,000th franchise game as Burt Blylevin pitched them to a 7-1 win over Milwaukee at Met Stadium. July 12th in 1988, the American League won the All-Star game 2-1 with Terry Steinbach from New Ulm, Minnesota, being named the MVP. On July 12th in 1996, Kirby Puckett officially retired from the Twins because of the loss of vision in his eye. On July 12th in 2001, the Twins had three different players, each hit two home runs in a 13-5 win over the Brewers at home. Torrey Hunter, Jacques Jones, and Corey Koski each did that for the Twins. Well, that'll do it for another Helping of Waffles here at 365sportscast.com. I'm glad you decided to spend another hour with me, and I hope you'll continue to tune in each week right here at 8 o'clock Eastern, 7 o'clock Central on 365sportscast.com. If you can't catch the original broadcast, each week's episode airs every evening at that same time on the website. Shows also archived to YouTube and Spotify. You can catch them there as well. Remember, I want to hear from you. If you think that you have something that would be good for the show to interview on, if you have some feedback for me, email me, waffleflipper22 at gmail.com or message me on Twitter at MrD1973. We'll be back next week with another look at Minnesota sports. How will the Twins look coming out of the All-Star break? How are the links going to look? Should we still keep talking about them? And I'll be on the verge of time to talk about the Vikings a little bit more. I'll have another special guest to delve into all that and more. Thanks again for joining me. This is Mark Domeyer signing off with Syrup.